Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Your first coaches were your mom and dad who taught you how to communicate, tie your shoes, or play a simple game of catch. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoy my show, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. To donate, go to paypal.me slash Raphael. That's S-I-F-U-R-A-F-A-E-L. I'm trying to keep this podcast free of advertisements. Anything you can donate is greatly appreciated. Thank you. I really appreciate your support. This is part two of Modern Samurai. My guest today is Dana Abbott. Dana's expertise in Kenjutsu, known as the Japanese swordsmanship, is what makes him the modern samurai warrior. Well, you know, if we were all Marine generals, all at the top, we're all at the same age. We all went to the same academy, probably. We're still pulling each other's fingers because it doesn't change. No. No. Nothing changes. It, you, you know, like like you, you said to me earlier, I mean, and I believe the same thing is we have to laugh on a daily basis because our joy, that it, it's got to be real. It's got to be authentic. And we really have to not only laugh, but sometimes even laugh at things we've done where we thought, oh, wait, I made a mistake. Oh, I should laugh it off because we should learn from our mistakes, but we should also enjoy our lives. We should really encompass every moment. You got that. And, and enjoy it. And even, you know, when you look back at moments in our lives that have been somewhat tragic, and it's what we do with those, and, and do we hold on to them and keep that tragedy, keep coming back and back and back, or do we eventually let go of them and move on and grow from it? Because every experience whether it's a good experience or a bad experience, is an opportunity for growth. Yes. Hey, I know that exactly. Got case in point. You just brought this to mind. I wouldn't have thought about it. In 2001, my father passed away suddenly, just up and died, you know, just dropped dead. Mm, sorry to hear that. Then, hey, that's the way life is. You know, he, he did, and uh, um, everybody grieves differently. Mm -hmm. And I put my nose to the grindstone, and did martial arts. Three years later, I look up, I got the Black Belt Hall of Fame, Weapons Instructor of the Year. Mm. I had a company that was working into its first half a million in its second year, and we we're getting courted by all the larger martial art, you know, like Century and all that kind of stuff. Right. And I looked up and I went, well, I took tragedy, I put my nose to the grindstone, and all of a sudden... Instead of becoming an overweight alcoholic or running right. off to the woods and that, you know, just that's what I did. And my secretary said I was an ass. 
you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I was a well-meaning ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You had a purpose. Yeah, I had a purpose, and that's how you, that's what you do. You you put things together. You take unpositive things, and you don't make orange juice or anything like that. You just it's life. Yeah, I was just lucky that you know the whole family, you know, like that because I know people that you know lost whole families in one movement, or you know, because I've traveled around, I've seen a lot of stuff happening. Oh, of course, of course, a lot of stuff has crossed my plate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we learn from it. You have two choices. You either learn from it or you go and don't learn from it. Yes. And then you keep doing the same thing over and over. And when when you think about the martial arts, it's it has so many diverse attributes yes. that we can take from it, right? Yes. And, and it's it's what you get from it and how, if you're an instructor, how you deliver that, how you impart that knowledge to other people and and you're doing it beautifully so thank you for that oh thank you for noticing it you know yeah. but hey i'm it's really commendable of all these martial artists the, the teachers out there because oh yeah you have to remember here they are they're trying to do a donut schedule because you know not everybody comes in eight hours a day mm-hmm. and you got to deal with all the kids and then you can't eat a good meal you're almost like a cop when it comes to eating, you know, either get a donut here or have a fried food because your your school is usually next to Kentucky Fried Chicken, you or know. A pizzeria. There it is <laughs> because that's what you got and you don't have a Japanese wife that makes things for you like I've had for the last 34 years. Mm. So what happens is is that you you get a black belt and you take it up to a third degree black belt and a fourth degree black belt, then you find out that I just don't have time to put in i'm just too tired at the end of the day to work on a fifth degree black belt to polish out and this is where everybody starts getting political and start working on you know i want i need rank instead of you know going at it and this is where all the arguments come in and hey stuff like that which is totally normal but getting back to the guy that has the average school out there hey they're having a hard job just because their schedules are all screwed up me i don't because i deal with all the schools in the United States, mm-hmm. and even though a whole bunch of them are having problems, there's still a lot of them that are doing okay. You know how it goes. Of course. And it's just case in point. But I'll tell you one thing that I sort of like is when I came back to the United States, there were probably about 20 swordsmen in the United States. Mm. And then after 9-11 happened and, you know, something changed a little bit, then there were probably about maybe uh, eight or 10 swordsmen in the United States that were really, really, you know, like, and now there's no one. And the ones that do it, they don't do it anymore. I don't know why. But there's very few people that even follow it because they've been told they don't have to do diligence. Mm. And diligence is a really hard word when there's a word, word next to it called discipline. That it, do I use an S or a C or do I add both? And if I add both, will it make me stronger? And by the time I finish with the word, will I be worthy? And this is the perplexing thing that most martial artists teachers have with their students too who are brown belts that want to be a second degree black belt Mm. but they don't look like a purple belt and they gave them all that to a brown belt because the rent man still is charging $2,600 a month for the next four years 
And their parents are always late with the kids. So when you, well, I'm sort of circling back to if we tried to put judo or the Japanese back into the school system, it was the school system that screwed up the whole thing from 1979 when Carter created the Department of Education. Before it was the, through the Department of Health, Welfare and education. That's what happens when you talk to an old guy. He knows his history. <laughs> and then from that day on, and I got out of college and everything in 78, so I wasn't part of that. But what I noticed immediately was they started creating, I can't do this. They started creating the programs they have now where people won't even look each other in the eye let alone want to be a warrior. Right. So the hardest thing for me is to have someone stare me in the eyes. For the last five years, I look at him and I say, I can't look at you, I can't look at you, you're just mean. That's not even my stare. Look at my nose, look at my mouth, look at my throat, and then they can follow until they can look at your eyes. Mm. You know, things like that. They've been browbeat in through the school system to the point where they see stuff happening in another country, how they, you know, beat, they look like they just beat the crap out of the kids. Like in the martial arts and other things too, but in the martial arts. And I'm looking at this and I go, by the time that kid's a brown belt, he'll be like a six-three black belt here in the U.S. Of course. Just because they got hit. And that takes me back to my original training in Prescott, Arizona with Korean karate. I got the crap beat out of me. I had bruises all over my body. Just because I wanted it, they gave it to me. Mm. And then in Japan, I didn't have those types of bruises all over my body, all over my back and my thighs. I had these long slat bruises. I looked like the NBC bird. (laughs) These bruises constantly off my right and left side, all the way down my sides for years. Because if you want to, you got to pay the piper. And the piper says, you got to get hit. Mm. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's it's funny you say that because I never wore sparring gear. Me no. and my training brothers, we just fought, you know? Yeah. And even now, sometimes when I spar with my students, I don't wear gear. Yeah. And so I have my program director come and say, you know, you, you, are you okay? I'm like, uh, yeah. You're not wearing, you know, you're not wearing a cup. You're not wearing gloves. You're not wearing, I'm like, that's, they're wearing it. They're good. I'm not going to hurt them. And, 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 you know, I always encourage my students to hit me as hard as they can. Yeah. So, and it's important for them to be able to do that. Yes. And then the other concept is, I said, okay, maybe I'll throw on a pair of gloves just to make them feel comfortable. So they're not afraid that I'm going to hurt them. For me, sparring gear is like mm, almost a waste. But I, I guess because we are teaching people to be safer. To feel good. Right. But but also now, because so many people have been sued, I my students have to wear gear. Yes. You know, and to me, that's kind of a shame because, and then I've had students who, who want to wear the full protection, the whole face thing. And I'm like, mm, that's not really what we do here. But, you know, if that's what you need to do in order for you to spar, okay, I'm going to let it happen. But it's not something that yeah. I recommend to my students. You need to get hit. You need to feel so you understand what it's like. Because if you learn to defend yourself and you're never put in a real situation, I mean, besides getting killed, of course, but in a, in a situation where it's actually at the point where, you know, you have to really react, then what are you doing? What are you learning? If you're not really engaging. 
So for me, a lot of times, we do have to tap out, you know. You have to tap before you break the guy's arm. Yeah. You have to do certain things. But when we spar, and, and I, you know, everybody comes at a different level. And I'll, t- I'll say, guys, you have three levels, okay? And I'm okay with all of them. Level one, if you just want to, like, tap each other, that's fine. Level two, you're going to hit some what medium. Level three, we're going for it. Yeah. And I'm going to say, you have to respect the person with the lowest level. If you're a level three person and you want to just, like, go through somebody, but they're level one, you're going to have to calm down and go to level one. But now if you two guys are, or two girls or whoever it is, guy and girl, doesn't matter because I'll have my girls fight the guys too. Oh, yeah. And, and I don't allow my guys to spar like if they're sparring their little sister. If you're going to spar someone, and I say to them, that's not a female you're looking at. That's a warrior. And the girls, and I'll tell the girls, I said, do me a favor, hit them harder. (laughs) So they they don't, you know, so that they they take them serious. And then what winds up happening is if two people are at level three, they're going to go at it. But I also let them know, listen, if you're at that level, understand one thing. If you hurt them so bad and it's okay with me, you have to pay their hospital bill. Which won't happen. And they think for a minute. They think for a minute and they're like, okay, you know, thank God I haven't had any real injuries at my facility because I'm always constant. If I see two people who are really going at it, I'm right there. I'm right there alongside them. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm gauging, I'm watching. And if somebody really loses control, I'm right on top of them and I'm taking them on. And sometimes where it's turned out that like you really have this rage in you, okay, spar with me then. Let's go. Because sometimes they got to get it out. Yes, they, they do. They do. They do. They have to get it out. If they don't get it out, it's, it's like when you deal with short sword with the kids. Well, you put a seven-year-old against a 10-year-old, it isn't fair. Life isn't fair. And the 10-year-old is just beating the seven-year-old and the seven-year-old's trying to keep his eyes open. And then all of a sudden, you look at the 10-year-old and go, put in your left hand. Mm. <laughs> and now they're learning how to use their left hand. There, the other kid is learning how to get in there now, right. and everything's fair again. They just had the what the arms race adjusted for a few minutes, and then over time, that ten-year-old becomes ambidextrous, and uh, he can go to any other weapon. Left side, rub both sides. Doesn't matter what stance, and it doesn't matter if they're ready or not because they can do anything mid-step as a general rule, as you know, with weaponry. So that works in really, really, really well. Oh, yeah. 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 It's it's interesting you say that because a lot of people don't realize the difference when you're holding a weapon in one hand and the other because our bodies or our mind separates it. But when we start becoming ambidextrous, which I encourage everyone to do, it's it's that deeper understanding of how to move our bodies. So a lot of times... I will do that, and I will make sure they use it in the other hand. And then all of a sudden I say, okay, when you can do both hands and they somewhat look identical, yes. let's put two weapons in your hands. Hey, hey, two weapons. he told hey, you. Hey. Yes. Right, yeah. So I definitely do double weapons and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of times, and I also do flexible weapons like whip chains and all that. Yes. Very interesting. And even like the three-section and all that. And a lot of people are like, uh, is there a padded one? I'm like, uh, no. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, they do have them, but I'm not giving you a padded one. I didn't learn with padded weapon. Unless we're sparring, then it's different. Uh, yes, please. Dana has shown us how to do it right. <laughs> so what winds up happening is a lot of people will say, can I wear a helmet if I'm doing a three-sectional? Or can I wear a helmet? I said, if, if that's going to make you more comfortable, sure. But I never did. And guess what? Because I learned how to move my body, I never hit myself in the head. I never did either. But if it's going to make you more comfortable, then go for it. Yeah. And then eventually, I want you to take that helmet off. And, and, you know, sometimes people need that comfort. You know, my first weapon was a three-sectional staff when I learned in Prescott, Arizona. And I didn't do any spinning with it. I held two edges, pulled them out tight, make the tight in the center one, and learned how to use the inner one and make sure everything was like... Remember Charles Atlas? He did that tension type of stuff. Right, yeah. You know, back in the day. Well, same thing. Mm -hmm. they, he taught me to use the tension with this. You ring the staff. That's why it's in three sections. And uh, it becomes part of you. You know, you hit and block or, you know. So I liked it. It sort of built up my pecs. <laughs> <laughs> what was your what was your first break into getting into to teaching at, at like a convention or something ah, like that? Oh, like okay. NAPMA, UFC. Yes, yes. I'm not UFC, EFC. And EFC, EFC. Um, it was basically that. Uh, a matter of fact, I was teaching the minute I came, got on the tarmac. There were people waiting for me back in 1998 on the tarmac. So when mm. I flew in, they drove me over to L.A. and we started training from that day on. Mm. Yeah, so I immediately got off that. But it wasn't about until 1999 I started finding out all the circuits. Mm -hmm. You know, of like Napma and those guys, for example. I also learned that Phoenix, because, you know, that's where I'm from, basically. And uh, Phoenix was the, what is it, the martial arts capital of the world for a long time. It was where the first dojo was started by Trios in 1946, mm -hmm. for example. So it had a long history. There's about 200 schools in Phoenix. I don't know about now, but I last year there were, you know, for example. Yeah. I, I saw you before 1998. Definitely. In Florida, I was moving. I was coming back and forth and stuff like that. But I moved back to the U.S. for you know for permanency, you know to to make my mark in society. Now I was asked this many times by different Japanese people, and they were martial artists, and it was it just didn't make sense to begin with. But now it does. When I first went to Japan, the teacher that took me in, he goes. Are you a businessman or a Budo man? Because, you know, you go to Japan to make your fortune, you know, mm -hmm. because if America could speak fluent Japanese, it'd be worth a fortune. Right. You know, that's what I thought, too. You know, I, I could speak Japanese and turn it into something because you never know. But I said a Budo man. And he goes, yosh. And he offered me a cigarette and I didn't smoke, but that's okay. He put his <laughs> arms around me, you know, and said, okay, and he showed me. And those old guys, you know, if I did really, really well one time, I did a really good technique, he'd pat me on the back and go, handsome boy. <laughs> <laughs> what was your big break into getting into being recognized and someone said, you know, we want you at our event. We want you to teach a, a seminar or anything like that did you approach them or did they approach you you know i've always been sort of stoic i'm a smart ass but a stoic one you hardly ever see me that much 
Uh, this last year was a great vacation for me, just, just because I do the Japanese thing like they did, the Ronin did. I have a Japanese wife. We do the exact Japanese food, lift the Japanese. Just put it this way. My kids go, there's nothing in the cupboards, but mom makes a complete traditional meal in 20 minutes and I don't see anything. <laughs> Because we don't keep, you know, chips in or anything. Right. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. So it's that type of lifestyle. So it's just, hmm. Where did you, let's, let's go back to where was your first seminar for one of the big organizations? Let's say Century, NAPMA. NAPMA's not around anymore, right? Na- NAPMA used to be pretty big. And here's how I, yeah, it was pretty big for a while, the NAPMA brothers. Yeah, one was uh, redhead, right? I don't even remember. It's been so long. They, they just were—they were martial artists. Now they don't look yes. like they look like uh, uh, Chinese um, sushi chefs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm I'm brutal. I'm brutal. But you know, back then people had an air about them. You know, mm-hmm. you did a little pretty good in the martial arts, and you made a little bit of money, and then all of a sudden you have a speedboat, and you throw that out. And you know, you, this is what the Japanese do. They put their hand on their nose and they hold it up in the air like you're really prideful, you know, that kind of stuff. And, <laughs> oh, I noticed, because when I did my first EFC, not my EFC, but my NAPMA, they, they, they sort of talked down to me. They never met me before. And I go, oh, I'd like to join this and um, I'd like to get a booth. And they go, oh, the booth's here, but there's this other room here, but that's too expensive for you. Mm. Yeah, they were like that. And I go, well, how big is the room? And they go, you know, da da da. It was a pretty big room, fifteen hundred bucks. I took it, and for the next four, four or five years, I took that room just because. Mm-hmm. But uh, basically, that's when I started meeting all the people that were looking at me from a distance. So if you look at old pictures of old Natma convention, you'll see me and uh, another kendo player. Um, and what was it? Junri. Remember Junri? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, he did the Korean karate. Anyway, he he used to come up to me because, see, he learned kendo in high school back during the occupation. Mm -hmm. So anybody who was Korean or Japanese saw me from a distance, they saw my posture, and they go, oh, because I received my posture from Nitai Dai, and if you were Japanese, you go, wow, you're serious. (laughs) <laughs> You're the re- it's yes. like going it's like becoming an officer but there's only one uh annapolis for example or west point so in martial art university i went to the west point of it with the best teachers in the country which in turn if you were a cop for example i'd be driving down the street in tokyo and you get pulled over and the minute they ask you a couple of questions you know and yeah wow you know that's how it works in so, yeah, it's interesting how that stuff works. So with that and getting back into dealing with how do the, you know these, how did you get these seminars going, because I'm sort of off on another tangent, is back to like to like a June Ree, for example. And June Ree, you know, he tells everybody, check him out. Can't go to the thing, look at him. That is perfect stature, you know, things like that. He says, show me a little bit of your uh, your kendo stuff and I'll teach you how to do the harmonica. So we played around with that a little bit, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So all these people that you run into, all these people that you've known for years, they I run into them, they, they see, you know, um, they just know, they see, right? and are they? I guess they call it the warrior spirit. And then all of a sudden, hey, go check out Danny, you know. And, and you know, most teachers 
won't send their students to another teacher. But all the big boys, you know, they all send, you know, Bill Walsh, hey, send over Dana, mm-hmm. or Joe Lewis, hey, I send over Dana. He, right. he does his big key eyes, goddamn near, I mean, he, he bitched a lot, you know. <clears throat> but hey, he liked me because I didn't do kick punch. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the day, you studied one style. Yes. And now, because of the UFC, because people are seeing different styles of fighting, yeah. people are saying, well, I don't want to be a one trick pony. And I'm not calling you that by any chance. Don't even think right. that, okay? That's not what I'm yeah. saying. What I'm saying is that people see that there's different ways to train. There is more than sometimes I'm seeing in front of me. So let me have my eyes wide open and see what's going to suit me best. And like you said, these guys said, send them to Dana. Dana's got his stuff. Dana's, Dana's the guy that we need to send them for that. And, and that's important when you're helping someone because yes you may not be able as a coach you may not be able to serve those particular needs that they need and then you need to be big enough as a coach to go and send them or guide them in the direction they need to go to because for me i believe coaching is is so important in our lives and it's not just about martial arts it's about do you need a financial coach do you need a business coach do you need a life coach. Maybe you're not making the right decisions for your life. Maybe there's no real balance in your life. If you're only focusing on business, 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 and you're forgetting your family, or you have no social life, because you know, you're know you only focused in these areas. And in order to become a great person, an overall rounded person, we need to be able to have that balance and sometimes that imbalance is going gonna, is gonna to shift and only direct you in one area. And so many people are very successful in one area. Meanwhile, the other areas are suffering. So it's, it's Oh, that happens? It's, yeah, it's important for us to realize that we can't help everyone who comes to us. They may need our guidance, and then we may have to send them off to someone else. That's what happens. And the martial arts, remember you watch these old Chinese movies of you know, the disciple with his teacher until he drops dead? Mm-hmm. 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. If you're glad to get three to six months out of a student these days, yeah. it's pretty good. Yeah. This is because no one makes the commitment anymore. That nasty word comes back around called discipline. Oh, yeah. And I'll tell you what, I teach discipline because if I taught motivation, when the song's over or when they quit listening to my voice, (laughs) they quit nodding their head. But if I teach them discipline, well, let's put it this way. I can teach them how to fish and I can teach them how to catch two at a time if they follow along of just getting their technique tighter and that's all it is. Mm-hmm. And it's people just just don't want to. That's why everybody has a house, for example, and some people's houses are immaculate and other ones are pigsties because everybody follows their own path. Or the biggest thing I see you say now is it isn't their time. Mm. It's not their timing. But when I run across these guys, remember, I go back a long way now, and I've had these same conversations with these same people 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 20 years ago, and I can talk to my peers who said these things, and they're like 80 pounds, 90 Mm. pounds overweight. They have lung problems. These are even younger than me. They're just falling apart because they didn't follow the spirit of the thing 
through the rest of their life. They did it, for example, some people, their lives begin and end when they were the high school football champion, captain of the team, prom king. After that, where do you go? And they spend the rest of their life trying to sell insurance, drinking in their beer, saying, yeah, I wish I could find another cute blonde, you know. (laughs) But there's other people that, you know, go the way the other route. Right. But in between of the average person, we all have our ups and downs. And most everybody's peak time, as in martial arts, is 36 years old. For example, in kendo, Mm. if you are practiced from the time you're a little kid, at 36, you're as strong as you can be. And after that, becomes political. Mm. But yeah, uh, stuff like that. So you can apply it in life and everything too. When I talk to people and, and people are looking to lose weight, and then so I ask them a simple question. How many sizes of clothes do you have in your closet? Because they probably still have the same clothes in their closet that they can't wear because they outgrew them. Yes. And I'm saying, well, do me a favor. No matter what happens, you need to make a promise that you will not buy any more clothes bigger than what you're wearing now. Do not go a size up. Do not do that. And as soon as you can fit into the previous clothes or, you know, because there are stages, let's say you gain 10 pounds and okay, you got a different pair of pants or, or, or a skirt or whatever, or, or a dress. And then you go to another level, another level, another level. So let's, let's call them, let's say women's clothing, right? Let's say you're size four and then all of a sudden you're size six and then all of a sudden you're size eight and all of a sudden you're not size 12, size 14, size 16. You probably still have all those dresses at home. So slowly go back down till you get to a happy, maybe you're never going to be a four again, but could you go down to maybe a six or an eight? And the minute you go down, throw out the clothes, but better yet, don't throw it out, donate it, right? Give it to someone. Hey, donate it. Yeah. yeah. So give it to somebody else. Give it to someone else. Little sister, you know, or something. <laughs> <laughs> but don't ever buy that size again. And if you can put that in your mind. So now let's go back to martial arts, right? Sure. If you're a martial arts instructor, can you fit? And like you said, the guy, the master in, in Japan said, I can fit into my my school you know when it's 40 50 years later can you still fit into your black belt uniform that you when you initially got your black belt it may not be the same uniform but can you fit into that same size or have you got i am working on another video Uh i'm working on another video a training video and this is remember i'm mid-60s where my teachers were and i've followed their same path so this is my year to be a jerk and call everybody (laughs) call call the last 30 years 40 years of people saying how great they are at the end of the day here's the race i'm the tortoise You know, so um, I am using my hakama that I got when I was 28 at Ni Tai Dai. Mm. And uh, Mm. yeah, I'll be wearing that. And my top, uh, you go through tops. Uh, Going through a top on a a kendogi in that, the bottoms are like lederhosen. They last forever. Mm. But the tops, they, they, what would we say? You go through, if you work out. Right, of course. You know, if you're one of the, yeah, 
if you, if you don't work out, they're going to last a lifetime. But I went through a top every eight to 10 months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you go through them really fast because they just wear off of you. And these are those big, heavy cone ones, you know, the blue ones that's supposed to last like leader hosen. But when you're practicing eight, 10 hours a day, six days a week, and seventh day is tournament, hey, you're lucky they're dry because <laughs> they never are, you know. For me personally, don't forget, I'm Raphael. Mm, Ninja Turtle. Yes. So, <laughs> so for me, if you were to look at my closet where I have all my uniforms, I think I have 20. Yes. And then yes. I'm always looking like, oh, I want to get another one. And none of them have ever gone up in size. It's just, I want a new one. It, it, it can be the same identical uh, uniform. If you ever saw that B movie, which was hysterical, the B movie and... Yes. He's saying, you know, he's a bee, obviously. He's looking to put on his uniform, his, <laughs> his outfit. He's going black and yellow, yellow and black, black and yellow, yellow and black. So I think that's where that song came from, black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow. So when you think about it, the choices that you make in your life yes. are going to reflect what you do now, are going to reflect what you become later. So choose wisely, right? Yeah, you got to. Or at least choose consistently. Yeah, you got to choose wisely. You got to be worthy of your choice too. Everybody has these choices. Everybody talks about them in January. Mm. Oh yeah. Everybody, everybody tries to shrug them off by February, then forgets them all by March. And the only concept between last December and the March was, I got to lose five pounds, or I got to you know get a better job, or I got to quit watching TV, or I got to pull something away, you know. Just get away from it. You just reminded me of the best client I ever had. And he paid on time, huh? (laughs) I met him once. Once. Let me tell you what he did. It was the beginning of January. He walked in. He said, I want to pay for the whole year. I'm in. Sweet. Serious. He gave me cash. He came in with a lot of cash Paid me for yeah. the whole year, and I spent the th- next three months trying to reach him to get him to come to class. But in his mind, he did the right thing. He said, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to go sign up, but he never showed up. Yes. I, I ask and I, and I pray that I get 100 of those every January, but I would prefer those that do decide to make a difference to show up because when you show up life changes oh you got that a matter of fact if the if the people if the people aren't worthy but they still are students and they come on down but they don't follow i'll charge them more Mm. but if they work it to the t and they're working out really hard i almost do it for free because hey that's what i want to see brings pleasure to my eye to make sure that someone's doing it correctly of course you know for example Mm -hmm. and uh but uh yeah when people come over here and train and stuff like that i don't care who they are they always walk away with their hands all encased in bruises or or you're you're working out with these guys that you know are really good i mean here's a case in point um let's see who's a person that you might know uh frank frank shamrock remember frank shamrock 
Oh, yeah. I, we did the Black Belt Hall of Fame. They had a few of those together back in L.A. around about 2005, 2006. I'm up on stage, and he's up on stage, and, you know, come on up and work out with us and stuff like that. No one wanted to work out with me, and no one wanted to get up on the ring in the ring and work out with him. So we got up together, and he beat me up, hit me a bunch of times, and then I pulled out the swords, and I beat on him, and everybody was watching but no one wanted to participate so I could say Frank is the man because he doesn't he, he, when you get to that point and you don't care what people think it really makes a difference in your martial arts mm-hmm. because you're not worried it does oh how does my hair look I might look bad and this is another thing that I noticed with <laughs> lots of instructors well I might look bad in front of your students I look bad in front of my students if I went back to Japan now and talked to any of my teachers they go Dana you still look bad you're not worthy at all but we love you <laughs> you know of course i take that in and maybe when i'm 90 i'd be worthy you, you know what when we can make mistakes in front of other people yes it shows that we're human it shows that we yes we have a mutual respect for them and it shows them that it's okay to make a mistake but fix it of course but it's it's so important, and especially I'll make a mistake in front of my students, and I'll say, "Oops, I messed up," and they look at me and like, "Yep, I messed up." Guess what, guys? I make a thousand mistakes every single day of my life, and it's because I make those mistakes that I've been able to elevate myself. Because every day I know I'm going to mess up, and that's okay. I'm going to learn from it, right? Oh, it's inevitable. Yeah. Oh, actually, you don't even need to learn from it. You just remember how to just get in your boat of mistakes and be able to, you know, work on through. It's the same thing with me. It's the same thing. You know, you're just trying to, what is it? Just work your way through the waves. It's not that hard, but just being consistent again. That's what it comes back to, consistency. Dana, what drives you? I guess it's time to make some money. <laughs> Let's forget that for a second. <laughs> it doesn't hurt, what don't get dri- me wrong. <laughs> what drives me is that I really enjoy the feeling of being healthy. I really enjoy the feeling of knowing that I have another 30 years in me. Enjoying the fact that I have not one vice. Mm. You can feed me coffee. Uh, Yeah, I drink coffee with a wife like everybody else does. But I know people that don't have coffee and they get headaches Mm. and they cry about their coffee. I go away and I don't drink coffee. I can stop something immediately, but it's mindset too. So that creates it. Of course. But the mindset, you build it up so strong that the body follows. Yeah. I mean, a screw, I make mistakes all the time, like, like you said. Mm-hmm. Here's a case in point. When I'm doing my videos and I'm test cutting or I'm talking around test cutting or I'm doing halls of fame and I'm using the cutting, basically I'm using it as a prop, yeah, for my demonstration. I don't know what I'm going to cut. I don't have it in the back of my head and I make mistake, mistakes all the cuts. My mistakes look still good to them, but I see it mm-hmm. and I cut it this way and it cuts out a little bit and I immediately follow with... Well, this is what you do, and if you create this type of this way, so it looks like I made the mistake on intention, because the answer of showing you what happens if you do this, that, and the other, with the spirit of the thing, and that's what it comes down to. 
Yeah, and it all comes back to it. And if you want to be better, just practice harder. I love what you just said. When you make a mistake and you point it out, and it's a, it's a learning opportunity because if you, and I do it all the time, if I make a mistake and I say, look, what I just did, and they didn't even notice I made a mistake. I said, look, yeah. I made a mistake. Can you guys point it out to me first? And if they can, they're like, oh, you didn't do it. No, I did that. You didn't do it. Uh, okay. And then I'll say, well, here, let me explain to you my mistake and why it's a mistake. And it becomes a learning opportunity for my students and so many times for myself because I'm analyzing. As I, After I made the mistake, I'm like, why did I do it? Where was my positioning? Where was my body? You know, everything that's happening. So I am connecting my movements to my thoughts and, and, and letting them know that, hey, mistakes happen, but let's analyze them, right? If you can analyze the mistakes, holy cow, you, you, you have a formula for success. Hey, you do, you do. It's like my teachers compared to young people. Or you look at the old Japanese guys. They cut, make a cut, good, bad, or indifferent. Their face doesn't change. You get a young guy, they make a good cut back, and you can see it all on their face. You know, it's just that, you know, they can see with their eyes, and most Japanese don't speak. They all speak with their eyes. Have you ever watched an old Japanese movie? Mm. It's real slow, mm. isn't it? Mm. And it's not slow. If you know Japanese, there's conversations going on there, big conversations. It's just that's the way it is. Of course, it's, it's, it's body language. It's, the, nah, it's not even the body language. They don't have too much body language. They talk with their eyes. Took me a long time to learn that from my wife, telling me when I'm a bastard. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I'm loving what I'm doing. And I want to thank you for that because I learned so much from you today. I learned so many different aspects of, of who you are. And when we think about coaches or we think about somebody who does make an impact, we don't know their background story. So I want to thank you for sharing that today. And, and to me, that, that's fascinating. When you think about people, and we're talking about all types of people, people who have made humongous contributions to our world or people who are just your regular Joes, and they still make contributions. But when we can dive a little deeper and get to know someone, and, and thank you so much for sharing your story with us and, and, and your journey. More, I think it's more of a, a journey than a story because you've accomplished a lot. And I can tell you... Give me a couple of beers and uh, I'll tell you about my travels. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well th there it goes because my, my whole thing is I can tell you're not done. I, I can tell, you know, you have so much more to give and so much more to explore. So for that, that that's, I thank you so, for, so much. And for my opportunity to be able to talk to you and, and dive deeper in, into your mind, into your mindset because that's what it's about when we get to communicate when we get to engage someone how interested are you in them and that's that's the beauty of of human connections well you got to be attentive you know if you're not attentive they won't be it either and you and i we've crossed paths many times there it is max fitness maybe maybe you remember me maybe you don't but i know after today 
you're going to remember me because I'm the crazy guy, right? Uh, the crazy Kung Fu guy. I, I think for me, I feel like you and I have connected on a different level yes. because we've talked about things that some people, if they go to a seminar, they don't get to know you this way, right? They don't know the story. They, they just know he's amazing at what he's doing. But they don't know your story, right? They don't know your journey. Thank you for letting me share that. It's a, it's a nice, long conversation we've had, and, and I'm loving it. And I hope everybody can definitely take away something of value. And I know they will, because just living the warrior mindset or living the warrior lifestyle is, can change somebody's life. I mean, let's, let's talk about... I like that. <laughs> the martial arts instructor who maybe lost their fitness and yet they they're telling their students that they should be fit yes so you gotta talk the talk and walk the walk if they're listening let's talk to them and say we've got you reach out to us if there's anything we can do to help you regain your fitness regain that uniform you used to wear and get rid of the the ones once you you go down a step, throw those out. I mean, put them put them in a box, or better yet, pin them up and say, "I'll never wear this again." Yeah, so that as a community we can grow together and be around for many years. Let's let's take our community and make it where we actually are not on this high horse that we're better than so and so. But we're a community where we're reaching each other. We're helping each other. There's so many students who have not trained in martial arts because of the baby boomers and because of everything that's happening in our world. There's going to be so many more. So let's not be in competition with one another. Let's become a team. Let's unify and become greater than what we actually have to offer. Let's refer people to each other. There's no more samurai. They're all in stretch limousines, like I said earlier. That, that all sort of disappeared. So there's the warrior within. I can honestly say there's still future Marines out there, you know, the ones that aren't born yet and the ones that, you know, have that warrior spirit because they're the closest thing that wanna, mm. that wanna do it seriously. But most all the people that do martial arts, mostly because their parents wanna, they want their parent, the parents want them to call them sir or ma'am, and they're going to send them to the martial arts guy to give them discipline, even though they're never on time. So, you know, we, we you and I have these great ideas on how we want to bring all these people together. I'm ready. You're ready. <laughs> My website's here. Your, your podcasts are out. You know what the problem is? Mm. They're not worthy yet, yeah. or it isn't their time, of course, or they just don't want it, or it's going to be too expensive. I'll tell you how expensive my stuff is. All my training in Japan was free. Mm. Even getting into Nitai Da cost a couple hundred bucks, and the reason why is they saw the spirit of the thing. And it doesn't cost for martial arts. Martial arts is free. Wow. Over here, they try to think it's something different. Mm. My martial arts is real reasonable. A buck a day. Mm. If you do it online, can't be any easier than that. And if you wrote me every day, I'd answer your stuff because I like worthy students. So it's, it's, but the problem is there. We put the ball, you and I put the ball on their court every day. Mm. And they don't want to return the serve because they got a bone in their finger and it hurts when they grasp it. Or I got a bone in my leg and I can't shuffle right. You know, some weird excuse. 
And that's just the way it is. So if we're talking to the people out there, come on down. We've been ready for a long. That's why they sent me back here to the United States, because my English is good and I'm ready to show what I learned through the Department of Education. Right. And that's that simple. Learned it the way they learned it, who the way their people learned it. And it was all regimented through 125 million people mm. through the archipelago of Japan. It's just that. So I'm ready. You're ready. So have them come to learnthesword.com. Yes. Because samurai is a hard word to spell. Learn the sword is easy. No, you got to make it because when it's their time, they'll remember. That's how it is. Simple is best because swordsmanship is simple. You just got to do it on left and right side. Simple. Simple, simple is effective. LearnTheSword.com SamuraiSports.com You know, LearnTheSword.com Same, same, same one. Look, Sheehan Abbott. Mm. In any search engine, you'll find me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I have a little bit of presence. Yeah, not Dana Abbott. You'll find some girl. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I love the fact that when I reached out to you, you said, let's stop messing around and let's not play phone tag. You called me right away. Yeah. It goes to show the, the type of person you are. You, you say it like it is and, and you mean it. You know, and there's, there's something that I was talking to Bill Wallace about. We were at a Hall of Fame maybe at that 10 years ago. And we were talking about us being too busy. And I say to Bill, Bill, are you too busy? He goes, no, I'm, you know, I have my own schedule. So my God, I'm not that busy. Then why does everybody think we're so important? We're too busy and they don't want to call us. It's a misconception. See, it's not a misconception. The ball's in their court and they have no discipline to call. Oh, I mean now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had the discipline to call you and I'm so happy I did. You did? I had the discipline to answer. Well, you know, it's, it's there to be picked. It's there. It's, it takes two to tango, right? That's, that's true. I want to thank you for tangoing with me today. <laughs> this has been a great sword battle. Well, good, 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 good. It's such a great feeling when you can talk to someone who's like-minded, who's a warrior. Because for me, and like you said before, every day is a day to train. Yes. And you train for six days, you compete the seventh. And if you're not competing, you should also be training. Because training is it's just who we are. We have to do what we do, what makes us happy. And if it doesn't make you happy, start doing it. You'll find happiness in training. You got that. Thank you for today. Really cool stuff. Oh, thank you My for pleasure. having me. You have an amazing day. You too. You too. All right, thank don't you, work buddy. too hard. All right. Uh, I don't Bye-bye. work. I don't work. I know. I know. Neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> One day I'll get a job, but I don't know. Hey, if I you work. know, not this year though. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Thank you. Take care. All right. You too. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I ask that you please leave me an honest review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. I'm trying to keep this episode free of advertisements. Anything you can donate to the cause is greatly appreciated. To donate, go to paypal.me backslash Thank you and I really appreciate your help.